Hello, and welcome to a very late night edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. And I know I've been slacking on the Monday podcast just because I usually don't want to record on Sunday night, but it would have been outright content negligence to not record an episode after the last few days in the hockey universe. So many things have happened in hockey. Have really good guests lined up for this upcoming week of episodes, so we're going to have a lot of really good discussion on the show. But today's episode is going to focus on the entry draft, the Rangers trades, the Flyer trades, the Sabre trades, the Blue Jacket trades. A lot of shit happened in the hockey world. The expansion draft happened last week. A whole ton of things going on. And it presents a beautiful opportunity for me to get back to the roots of this show where me, who has no front office experience, can rattle my brain together using Google and a couple of different websites, can kind of see that maybe these people aren't making these decisions from a rational state of mind, that, well... What what exactly was Chuck Fletcher thinking trading the 13th overall pick, a second overall pick, and Robert Haig for Rasmus Ristolainen, who's been a below-replacement-level player for pretty much his entire NHL career? What was Chris Drury thinking trading Pavel Buchnevich for a fourth-line winger and a second-round pick? Oh, I, I, hey, man, I, I'm... I like to think I have a good idea of thought processes amongst people who are in the sport, even though I don't have direct access to them. I, I do as much content consumption as humanly possible when I'm not doing work stuff, whether it's the blog at Gotham SN on Twitter, which you should be following, should have a blog coming up at some point on Monday during the day, going through some of the logical problems and the decisions the Rangers have made over the last few days, exploring them through the lens of logical fallacies, which as a debate English literature nerd, I'm kind of familiar with rhetoric and that kind of stuff where if you're not basing your arguments in sound logic, you're setting yourself up to look like a dumbass, which the Rangers have very much looked like a dumbass over the last few days. But aside from that, like I said, I'm consuming as much content as humanly possible. I'm reading as much as I possibly can from a variety of outlets. I'm consuming other people's podcasts. I'm pouring through what publicly available statistical data we have. I'm trying to get as best an understanding as humanly possible to someone in my position. And even I'm kind of sitting here scratching my head at some of these decisions. But before I get to today's talk, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Whatever platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any other of the major podcasting platforms, please support the show with a follow. If you use Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility because they do things a little more in-depth. On the show's homepage, scroll down to the bottom of the page. There are five clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button with purple letters. It says write a review. Please leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. We all bust our asses to give you guys some entertainment, some information, try and make you guys a little bit smarter, make your day a little bit better. We appreciate any feedback you do have. And with that, I'm going to carry right into the drop, and I'll see you guys in one second. Damage to the empty net. He 
with a short-handed empty net goal. And with that, we will jump right on into today's discussion. Now, when I first saw the Rangers traded Buchnevich, I thought, okay, maybe this is part of a bigger play. Maybe they're doing this because they already have Jack Eichel in the bag. They know Buffalo's ready to make this trade, but they're making the Buchnevich trade first to make sure they have the requisite cap space to make all the bells and whistles fit, all that kind of stuff, get an extra draft pick from another team. Maybe you put that draft pick and whatever you're getting back for Buchnevich into a trade for Eichel. Maybe it's one of those three-way type trades that, you know, it doesn't really work as a three-way trade because all of the assets are going in a couple of directions, but the third team isn't really directly involved with the move. I thought, okay, maybe maybe he's got Eichel ready to go by the time the draft starts tonight, Chris Drury, the Rangers general manager. But very quickly, when I saw that return, I realized that my worst fear, which I, 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 I have the receipts, as, as the kids say, I have the receipt. I tweeted on July 17th, I need Carp to explain to me how preemptively dumping Buchnevich as a salary dump makes sense for a team that wants to compete. And make no mistake about it, that's exactly what this was, a preemptive salary dump. The Rangers did not want to give Buchnevich a one-year contract. They did not want to give him a multi-year contract. Now, let, let's unpack this in a few different ways. So, number one, it's been reported a few different places that the Rangers have been shopping Buchnevich for a while. The report I remember definitely seeing was Frank Cervelli, who works at Daily Faceoff now, saying that Buchnevich has been on the market since May. So that tells you that was close to when the regular season ended. So Drury has been actively pushing Buchnevich out there, making calls, taking calls, that kind of thing, which tells you that he was desperate to get rid of him because as soon as the season was over, that was the first priority he had was, I got to shop this guy. Cerevelli also reported he's been shopping Ryan Strom and Alexander Georgiev. So it He's been shopping Buchnevich actively since May. Soon as his season was over, he put Buchnevich's restricted free agent rights out there because that's technically all the Blues acquired because Buchnevich is not under contract. But when you are telling everybody as soon as the season's over, this is one of your priorities, you are handicapping your ability to make a move because you're reducing your leverage in your position. And, and that's one of the things that I still don't understand how people whose job it is to be professional decision makers, which is what general managers are, do not understand these simple leverage positions. This is simple stuff here. We're, we're talking about stuff you learned when you were a little kid. We're talking about you have a candy bar, but one of your friends has $3. Would you rather have the candy bar or the $3? Well, if you're aggressive with how much you want to get rid of the candy bar, one of your friends would be like, all right, well, I'm only going to give you $1 because you really want to get rid of that. It's not worth $3 to you. It's worth a dollar to you. That's how simple this is. You're telling everybody, I don't want this guy on my team. What do you got for me? Everyone else is going to lowball you. And that's why the defense is that Larry Brooks of the New York Post and Rick Carpinello of The Athletic have given for this package being as bad as it is are bullshit. If that was all that was out there for Buchnevich, you did a piss-poor job selling him. Because this, uh, 
Buchnevich was the Rangers' best two-way forward last year, and because Panarin did miss, you know, 10-ish games because he was on that leave of absence, Buchnevich has a discuss. He can at least hold his own in the discussion of being the Rangers' best forward last year because his impacts offensively and defensively were tremendous. Great shot suppressor. He added penalty killing to the mix because the Rangers tried to do a power kill, which a few teams around the league have attempted. But Buchnevich killed penalties, really shored up the defensive aspects to his game. Without forsaking offense, which occasionally happens, you have a dynamic offensive player and you try and get them to shore up the defensive end of their game so they take a little bit fewer risks, they don't create as many chances, but Buchnevich was as dangerous as ever in the offensive zone. I brought this up in the Twitter spaces I did on Friday. A number of people jumped in. It was a really good conversation. A lot of people jumped in, got to make some points, got to answer some questions. It was a really good time. So... In a 60 minutes of five-on-five ice time, you got to figure Buchnevich averages 18, 19 minutes a game of total ice time. That's including, you know, the sparing 30, 40 seconds he gets of power play time when the second power play was on the ice this year. But in that 18 minutes of five-on-five, the five-on-five is what's important because power play metrics are a little bit harder to interpret. 60 minutes of five-on-five ice time. Buchnevich is creating, on average, 10 scoring attempts per 60 minutes of ice time. Of those 10 scoring attempts, four of them are high danger, which is a really strong ratio. I believe by my rough count I did the other day using Corey Schneider's um, tableau, that put him at the 19th highest ratio of high danger chances to total number of chances. When 40% of your scoring opportunities are coming from high-danger areas, you're doing a really good job of getting the puck to good areas on the ice and areas that are more likely to result in goals. So I don't understand how all you were able to get for one of the more underrated two-way players in the league was a fourth-round pick, excuse me, a fourth-line forward and a second-round pick. That just seems like you did a poor job marketing your asset and you took whatever was out there because Buchnevich is worth a whole lot more than that. I understand the Blues do need to get Buchnevich under contract, which I understand is already underway, but you've already handicapped your team. You you took away your first line right wing, Buchnevich, who has been a really strong driver of play his entire NHL career. Even when you were throwing him out there with bums, he was keeping the puck in the other team's zone, and your goalie was not having to stop any pucks. And that's the foundation of all the analytics discourse you see on your Twitter feed, the people in the Facebook replies, the people on Instagram, the JFresh charts, the Evolving Wild charts. The entire basis of this analytics discussion is, If a team is creating more scoring chances than its opponent, over the course of an 82-game season, it is more likely than not they will score more goals than their opponent. That is your goal. You assume that if you score more goals than your opponent, you're going to win. If you're creating more chances, you are more likely to score more goals. That is the foundation for everything you see. Whether it's Corsi, which is just scoring chances, 
Fenwick, which is unblocked scoring chances. Expected goals, which is assigning a value to the scoring chances on how likely they are to result in a goal. So if a shot is from the high point from a defenseman, it's going to be worth less than a shot from the slot right in the goalie's face. That's what expected goals is quantifying. It's giving shots value because not all scoring chances are worth the same. A shot from the point is not as likely to result in a goal as a shot from closer to the net. And that's where the the misunderstanding of what is important in trades really reared its ugly head in some of those trades we saw during the draft day and the day before the draft. But just wrapping up here on this opening salvo against the jury regime, you, you fucked up, bud. I, I don't know how else to say it. You got no, you got a fourth line player you could have gotten for a fourth round pick and a two, which isn't till next year. Terrific. As a salary dump, you didn't want to sign when you have 26 ish million dollars in cap space for the 2021 2022 season is negligence. I was talking with him the other day. He's going to make an appearance on the show sometime next month. The hockey stat miner and I were talking about this, and he's tweeted about it more than once. Absolute worst case, if all was out there with Sammy Blaze and a second-round pick, you give Buchnevich his qualifying offer, you go to arbitration, you swallow the pill on whatever he gets. He probably gets between... Five and a half million dollars and six and a half million dollars. If I had to give a rough estimate, I would assume the Rangers would submit a bid around five to five, maybe five flat. And Buchnevich, his representation, would submit a number around six and a half, maybe six and three quarters, six point seven five million dollars per season. And the arbitrator would try and find a number, but Drury blinked with another contract negotiation. He gave Goudreau an above-market contract because he thinks puck retrievals are more important than creating scoring chances. And I don't want to devalue puck retrieval because it is a valuable skill. Every single line in hockey that is good has a puck retriever who is able to win those 50-50 pucks along the boards and get the puck to either the playmaker or the shooter on their line, and they're able to create offense at a high rate. But puck retrieval is not worth more than actually the goal or the assist to the goal itself. And that, in its essence, is why I am so concerned about the two the the two three moves Drury has made so far in a vacuum if you had just gotten Drury uh, excuse me if Drury had just gotten Barkley Goudreau okay you overpaid a little bit he's a high upside fourth line guy and can play third line in a pinch you're gonna pay him a little bit too much but you think you're gonna be competitive this year so it's important to have a good third line I don't agree with your decision there but I understand the logic it's based in, which is important here. It's important to be able to say, okay, I understand why you did that, even if I disagree that you came to that decision. But trading Buchnevich for 
a guy who's 24 going on 25 and more or less the finished product of I'm a fourth liner, I have energy, I can hit, I can kill penalties. You could have gotten more for Buchnevich, man. I mean, Buchnevich's underlying five-on-five impacts, metrics, whichever word you want to use to describe it, they were better than Sam Reinhardt's last year. Sam Reinhardt got a first-round pick. I mean, Buch's rights alone should have been worth a first-round pick. And the fact jury could not get a first-round pick for Buchnevich tells you that he was shopping him too aggressively and was not setting himself up to negotiate from a position of strength, which is what where we're going to come to now. Drury is desperate now. He's traded away his first line right wing. He is dependent on a 19-year-old in Alexis, Alexi Lafreniere, a 20-year-old in Capococco, and I believe Vitaly Kraftsov is 20 years old. He is relying on two of those guys to go into his top six and be good. Not just tread water, legitimately be good. Especially on that first line where Zabinijad has not driven play out five on five in two years. And if Kreider stays on the first line left wing, Kreider has been very, very streaky and very, very, I play when I want to. And Putting one of those three guys, you know, with not a ton of NHL experience on a first line with Zabinijad and Kreider is not going to put them in a position to succeed because they're going to be asked to do too much. Because Kreider's going to park himself in front of the net and occasionally get one of his breakaways where he misses the net. He's not doing a whole lot to drive possession. He's not winning those puck battles like he used to when he was younger. He's not using his size like he used to when he was younger. Zabinijad is not as good as he was defensively when he first got here. He's not as good positioning-wise. He is caught reaching a lot. He is out of position a lot. Step right up, Vitaly Krasov. You get to play with those two guys. Step right up, Capococco. You get to play with those two guys. That does not sound like a recipe for success, and that's why I'm so surprised the subsequent move wasn't lined up. Whatever you think Drury's move is, if you don't have that move ready to go, you could wait on the Buchnevich trade. You don't have to worry about arbitration for a couple of weeks. You can make some other roster decisions before you just take a bag of chips for Pavel Buchnevich. I, I promise the Blues would have given you Sammy Blaze in a couple weeks for a fourth rounder if you really, really had this urge to get, you know a replacement level, slightly above replacement level fourth line player. If you really had a, such a hard on for Sammy Blaze, I promise you could have gotten him in a couple of weeks and you could have gone from there. You did not need to trade Buchnevich the day of the draft for a second round pick. That, did, that, that didn't make a whole ton of sense to me, getting a second round pick for for. for Buchnevich because the pick isn't till next year's draft. Uh, you could have gotten that, that same offer in a few days. And the problem with getting that trade done when the Rangers did is now the other GMs out there know Drury needs to get another guy. The other GMs out there know Drury needs to get another top six player. Whether it's Eichel, whether he makes an offer for Elias Pedersen's rights to the Canucks, whether he tries to get Sasha Barkov from the Florida Panthers, whether it's Matthew Kachuk with the Flames. 
all of the other GMs know Drury needs to make a move now because the other GMs know Drury has a mandate to make the playoffs because all he's doing is trying to get bottom six guys who can maybe tread water at five on five in the playoffs and not get pinned in their own end for 11 and a half minutes a night. If all you're doing is worrying about your third and fourth line, you know what that tells everyone else? You think your top six is good to go. The Rangers' top six is not good to go as is. You know who you have penciled into that top six right now? You've got Panarin, Strom, Zabinijad, and Kreider. You can take your pick of Lafreniere, Lafreniere, Kako, and Kraftsov. Which of two of those three are going to play in the top six? And then who's going down to the third line, whether it's Kraftsov or Kreider? And then you're going to go with Hedl, and then who else is playing on that third line? You can play Goudreau on that third line. You can play Goudreau at center, Hedl on the wing with uh, Kraftsov. That could be a decently upside third line, but then what are you going to do on the fourth line? You're going to roll Kevin Rooney and who else? That You're going to run Kevin Rooney and Sammy Blaze and who else? Yeah, that that's not a terrible bottom six, but you still need another left wing, and you're putting all your eggs in the basket of a 19, 20, or 21-year-old being your savior. I think Lafreniere, Kako, and Krasov can all be pretty decent NHL players, if not good NHL players, but... Those guys need time to figure it out, and the Rangers don't have time to figure it out. That is where the real problem lies. So the Rangers have told the rest of the league, we need to make the playoffs this upcoming season. We have to, we have to, we have to. So all the other general managers are going to jack up the prices. Like I said, your friend knows you want to buy that candy bar from them, and you have $5, and... You offer them $3 for that Kit Kat out of the gate. Your friend's going to say, well, it's fine. I'll just have the Kit Kat with my lunch. I don't mind. It's good. It, 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 it'll it go good with my sandwich. It's sweet. It's an opposite to my sandwich. That's fine. But, but uh, I'll, I'll give you $4. Oh, so, so you have more than $3. Okay. Well, you have $5, though, don't you? For $5, I'd give you this Kit Kat. And that's where Chris Drury is right now. The Kit Kat is Jack Eichel. He's been offering probably some combination of Heedle, Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, maybe Kraftsov. And that's about $3. And the Sabres are saying, well, you've got Nils Lundqvist over there. You've got Braden Schneider over there. You've got Vitelli Kraftsov over there. You've got some stuff we'd like over there. If you want to give us that, too, we'll give you Jack Eichel. That's fine with us. And Jury, to his credit, is not going to give away the farm, but at the same time needs to make a move. Because if they go into opening night of the 2021-2022 season with this collection of talent with the restricted free agents as the only other signings, additions... The roster's worse than it was opening night of last year. I didn't think Colin Blackwell was going to give them anything above replacement level fourth line play. He gave them more than 10 goals. He was fine. I thought Kevin Rooney was going to suck. He wasn't good, but he wasn't the worst fourth line player I've ever seen. Great. You brought in Sammy Blaze and you brought in Barkley Goudreau and you took out and you and you took out Blackwell and Buchnevich. Terrific. And the team is worse. Just flat out, the team is worse. Now, you could try and ride Panarin and Zabinijad until they wilt, but 
I don't think that's a sound strategy, which is why all the other GMs know Chris Drury needs to make a trade. And that's why the price is going to keep going up on Jack Eichel. That's why the price is going to go up on anyone else who's out there that might be or might not be available. And before I started recording, I did read Elliot Friedman's really quick blog, and he said that he predicted Ryan Strom would get traded to either the Kraken, the Golden Knights, or the Ottawa Senators. And... Since we know Strom's name has been out there, we know the Rangers tried shopping him last offseason with Tony D'Angelo, and they didn't get any bites. And he had another pretty solid season. Uh, his underlying impacts were not great away from Artemi Panarin and Capococco. Without one of those two guys on his line, he was a negative possession player, a little bit below expected, a little bit below fifty uh, percent expected goal share. But if we know Ryan Strom's name is out there to one of those three teams, that means the Rangers are looking for more assets. And I don't know what you think you're going to get for one year of Ryan Strom that you couldn't get for one year of Buchnevich. If they turn Ryan Strom into another mid-round pick and bottom six forward, I I just don't see the plan here. And, and that might be why I am so mad and so concerned because the positions of authority here the Vince Mercoglianos the Rick Carpinellos the Larry Brooks the people who are supposed to be the public advocates for us out here amongst the civilians they're supposed to ask Chris Drury difficult questions they're supposed to ask him well if that's all you got how come you didn't consider going to arbitration it's just mind-numbingly stupid that the position of the team right now is we had too much skill and that's why we weren't winning any hot we weren't winning games the rangers went like 3 and 8 in one goal games last year hang on i'm looking at my notes here they had an abysmal abysmal record in one goal games and that's why they didn't make the playoffs last year they went something like 3-8-1 and one in one-goal games. That's the reason they didn't make the playoffs last year. Not because they were soft, not because other teams pushed them around. They didn't score enough. Those one-goal games, you know why you can't win all those one-goal games? Because you create offense in an unsustainable way. You either depend on it to come off of the rush or off of the power play. Those are hard places to rely on goals on. Because if teams are tight through the neutral zone, you can't gain speed and you can't create in transition. And on the power play, if a team has a good penalty kill, they'll fuck you up. And the Rangers last year were way too reliant on those two channels to create offense. And don't get me wrong, they had injuries. They, losing Heedle for six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it was, it was like the last week of January until mid-March. Losing Heedle was big because that third line on paper this year was supposed to be decent. The Heedle, Kako, Lafreniere line was going to be decent out of the gate. And they had decent numbers the first couple of games they played together. They were a positive possession group. But Heedle's injury was bad because then you had to play Kevin Rooney up and you had to put Howden back in. It was just an unfortunate situation for that fourth line and that third line, to be honest. And that's what sucks here. They identified the problem with last year's Rangers team, that the bottom six gave them nothing. It's that the bottom six was 
replacement level or worse players here. They were out there with Lafreniere, Rooney, Gautier, Howden, Blackwell, Johnny Brzezinski. They were out here with uh, Tim Gettinger got in a couple games. Just the bottom six was not NHL ready guys or NHL caliber guys. And when you play three guys together who just they don't have any business at the NHL level. Lafreniere could have held his weight if you gave him some protection, but you're playing him on a line with fucking Kevin Rooney. Kevin Rooney's a nice guy. He's a decent penalty killer, but, like, you took Lafreniere first overall, and you said, okay, we're giving you a fourth liner we signed for basically the veteran minimum the first day of free agency who was on a team that picked first overall last year. That sounds like a great plan to set up your first overall pick for success. And that's what's so fucking infuriating is we all saw the stupidity coming. We all, every single person with a forward-thinking mindset said, you need to be giving Kako, Lafreniere, and Kraftsov as much ice time as possible during the 2021 season, the one that just ended, because soon you are going to have to make decisions about the rest of your roster, whether that's trading a Zabinijad, whether that's trading a Buchnevich, whether that's trading a Ryan Strom. You need to know what those guys have and how far away they are from being able to help you win. You don't know if any of those guys is going to be able to help you win hockey games right now. Kako made really big strides in his second year. Really strong defensive numbers in terms of takeaways and shot suppression. Not elite, but pretty strong improvements from the year before where he was a disaster. He was a fish out of water. And they they flat out asked too much of him in his first year out of the Finnish league, and he did not play well. His defensive impacts were god-awful. He didn't know what to do in the offensive zone, and he still has work to do in the offensive zone. He is not a good passer yet. He does not see the ice well, and those are legitimate concerns. He's coming to his own physically. He's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit stronger. He can win the puck battles, but he's got to do a better job of incorporating his line mates in the offensive zone, which has been a problem since he got into the league two years ago. And even though he's cleaned some things up and he looks better, he's still not able to incorporate his teammates in the offensive zone. If you give him the puck in a shooting position, he can take it to the net and shoot, but he's not looking for line mates yet in the offensive zone and he's not keeping the cycle alive which is another concern because he's not he's he just doesn't have a great feel for the offensive zone in the NHL yet and that's the guy you're going to ask to play first line right wing with Zabinijad and Kreider or second line right wing with Strom and Panarin or you're going to put Kraftsov who has all of 10 NHL games up there or you're going to ask Lafreniere who had to drag the corpse of Zabinijad around the first month and a half of last season no disrespect. I understand. Zabinijad had COVID. The Rangers put him in a god-awful position where he had one day of training camp before the regular season started against the Islanders, and he was effectively out of shape. He had no conditioning. He had COVID in December. The training camp started the first week of January. The season started the second week of January. I understand Zabinijad was in no condition to be playing hockey, and the Rangers put him in a position to fail, but... He was still out there. If he was healthy enough to play, the Rangers were expecting him to be better. And that just goes to show you just 
the Rangers are not great at understanding their players. And before I open it up, and I'll I'll go to Seth Jones, I'll touch on Ryan Ellis, Ristolainen, um, the Garland OEL trades really quickly, but the last thing on the Rangers here, I really, really thought if anyone was going to understand why buying credibility doesn't work, it would be Chris Drury because the Rangers already bought Chris Drury to buy credibility 12 years ago. When the Rangers signed Chris Drury from the Buffalo Sabres and they signed Scott Gomez from the Devils, they were poaching guys who were on good teams. And what happened with both of them on the Rangers? They won a playoff series against the Atlanta Thrashers, and that was it. Drury lasted all of three years. Gomez got traded for Ryan McDonough in a salary dump that the Canadians were too stupid to realize was a salary dump. And Chris Drury, in all his wisdom, is trying to buy credibility from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who won two Stanley Cups, and the St. Louis Blues, who won a Stanley Cup. He is not trying to come up with something intelligent, creative, and unique to himself. He's trying to buy credibility from other organizations. So the media that is beholden to him because of the threat of losing access will say he went out and got guys who've won Stanley Cups. Those guys knows what it takes to win. Barkley Goudreau at best, at absolute best, is maybe, maybe the 13th or 14th best player on the Tampa Bay Lightning the last two years. Because the six forwards in the top six, Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, that's eight. Vasilevsky, that's nine. Ryan McDonough, 10. Victor Hedman, 11. Mikhail Sergachev, 12. This year, maybe 13. Maybe you could give him 13. Maybe. Ross Colton. Ross Colton on the fourth line. He he might have been better than Barkley Goudreau. Ross Colton might have been better. So you bought the thirteenth best forward off a two you bought the thirteenth best player off a two time Stanley Cup champion. And you bought a fourth liner who played twelve minutes a game on a team that won the Stanley Cup three years ago with a goaltender who went on a pretty high shooting binge. That's your plan, Chris. It's God, I the hockey logic is just so fucking stupid, man. You can just hear the pain in my voice that this shit does not make sense. In any other sport, if you bought the 13th best player off your team, you wouldn't tout the fact he won a Stanley Cup or a championship. If another team... Okay. Let's say... Let's say the San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, you know, they got really close. They went to a Super Bowl. They lost. They think they're going to be pretty competitive this year. Let's say Matthew Slater, the special teams all uh, hall, the special teams goat in the modern era, the special teams goat from the New England Patriots as a free agent. If Kevin Shanahan went out and gave Matthew Slater an above market value contract to be an elite special teams gunner and say, we need a guy like him because he knows what it takes to play, win a Super Bowl, even though he plays less than 15 snaps a game. 
and you gave him more, a lot more money than he was worth. Every NFL person in the media would say he's an idiot. Terrific. You got a special teams gunner. He plays 15 snaps a game. He plays kickoffs. Terrific. That guy's not going to make a huge difference in when you win or lose. The difference in winning and losing in any sport is your high-end players. If your high-end players at least match what the other team's high-end players do, then you can start to worry about the depth. You can worry about your third and fourth line. Right now, you don't know who's playing first line or second line right wing. When the Rangers can figure that out, then they can start to worry about the third and fourth line. That's what's so frustrating about this. They're worrying about luxury problems. The Rangers don't have luxury problems right now. They have fundamental problems. Who's playing first line right wing? Who's playing second line right wing? Are they going to play that position well? Are they going to complement your center and left wing on each of those lines? Hey, I I at least have these thoughts. No one is going to ask Chris Drury these questions because no one wants to make Chris Drury mad for some reason, even though if a team tried to get a reporter's credential revoked for just asking questions, that organization would be ostracized and every person in the media who didn't have participate in a boycott of the team would look like gutless cowards, which is what happened a couple of years ago when the Knicks threw a reporter out and all the other reporters protested until they gave the guy his credential back. That's what would happen. You would have support from the other reporters who had some balls on them because that's your job as a reporter is to hold those in power accountable so the public has actionable information to make decisions on. All the Rangers are doing is pumping out that BS about we're building for the future Come be a part of this to sell season tickets. Well, if some reporters out there actually did their jobs, maybe people would think twice about giving the Rangers a $600 deposit for season tickets. Just for the right to buy tickets, $600 as a deposit. And then paying, uh, God, I think the rate I had like three years ago was $125 a game to sit in the last row for 10 games. Paid something like $1,300 after the deposit. Just to get in 10 games. And, you know, you don't have flexibility when you have a season ticket plan. You can't have things come up or make other plans. you you got to build your schedule around that. And I, I, I just don't understand what the, what the enticement for the Rangers is to get you to buy season tickets. The season ticket holder events aren't good. They don't give you anything in particular. Great. You get to watch the Rangers play Jeopardy. Amazing. I get to watch Brady Shea, Jimmy Vesey, Kevin Hayes. Who else was at that? Um, I'm trying to think. I think Andre Pavlik. Like, just I, terrific. I get to see them play Jeopardy. I don't care. Are we any closer to winning a Stanley Cup before I die? That's what I care about. Win me one Stanley Cup, and I won't ever fucking complain about any decision you make ever again. I, I swear to God. I swear to God. You give me one, I won't ever complain again. But we're no closer to that with Sammy Blaze and Barkley Goudreau and without Pavel Buchnevich. Now, I've spent about 40 minutes in that psychotic rambling there. So, really quick. I'm not going to dwell too long, but... The other teams out there that made some moves. So, number one, the Blackhawks, 
and Seth Jones. That's probably the biggest of all of the moves that have happened so far. We've known this was going to happen. Jones told the Blue Jackets he wasn't going to sign an extension, so the Blue Jackets pretty made it abundantly clear they were ready to make an all. They were ready to shop Jones, and they got a great return. They got multiple draft picks. They did not give him that god awful contract that the Blackhawks gave him. They got Adam Boquist in return, who I've always been particularly high on. He's still only 20 years old, not that far removed from the draft, not a ton of NHL games on his legs yet. And the Blackhawks are trying to avert your eyes away from the Bradley Aldrich scandal, the Bradley Aldrich sexual assault allegations they are covering up. And the Blackhawks... On draft night, just absolutely disgustingly shameless what they did. Parading eight women up there with their general manager, Stan Bowman. Eight women in the front office who work various uh, jobs in that front office. And having one of them announce the pick to try and give the illusion that the Blackhawks are about equality or and inclusivity. They are full of shit, and they used those women as a shield to make Bowman not face the heat. Gutless cowardice. Stan Bowman, just, he knows what he did, and he's going to have to live with it the rest of his life. And he might not think about it now because he's got his three Stanley Cup rings. He might feel like he's invincible. He's the general manager of the American Olympic team that's going next year. He's got the rings. He'll get to go to the Hall of Fame because the hockey men like him. He's a fucking god-awful executive, and he's an even fucking worse human being. Stan Bowman, what what Stan Bowman did in 2010, Stan Bowman not going to the police after having a credible allegation of sexual assault is moral negligence of the highest order the nhl not having a standard policy for sexual violence of any sexual misconduct not even violence sexual misconduct of any kind in the in 2021 is just flat out unacceptable 11 years ago a coach sexually assaulted two players on a team those two players told a coach and that coach said, "Okay, I'm going to go tell the front office and we're going to we're going to we're going to go get help. We're going to take care of this. This guy's not going to do this again." That coach went to the front office and the front office said, "We're not going to the police." Nothing came of it. That coach got to get his name on the Stanley Cup. He got a ring. He showed up the morning of the parade to take the picture. No one on the team ever saw him again. He went to Miami of Ohio. He was the director of hockey operations there for a couple months. He was accused of two sexual misconduct allegations there, left. He resigned after four months. No one ever raised any flags. He went to go back to volunteering in Michigan. He molested a kid in high school. He went to jail for nine months, is a registered sex offender in Michigan, is a blue dot on a map for the next 20, for 25 years from, I think it was 2017 or 16. I forget when he was convicted of that crime and the Blackhawks let it happen. The Blackhawks are not arguing in court that they did not know this occurred. They are arguing that they had no legal obligation to report said crime to the police. 
And that's the general manager who went out there and made a splashy trade and then used a bunch of women as a human shield. That's the kind of guy Stan Bowman is. That's the kind of guy hockey protects. And while I'm on the subject of reprehensible decisions in hockey, I don't ever, ever, ever again want to hear what a good guy, what a good leader, how good of a decision maker, any of those positive things that Mark Bergevin got credited for, for getting Montreal to the cup final this year ever again. Drafting Logan Mulyu after every all of the things we understand about what happened in that situation with that victim in Sweden, I do not on any planet understand how an empathetic, rational human being could make that draft selection. Mulyu was not rated as a first-round draft selection in a majority of the prospect pools I read. So, first of all, this guy's not a first-round talent. That's before we even get to the reprehensible scumbag thing. So, Moyu was convicted in Sweden of distributing images of a woman he was engaged in a sexual act with to teammates in, I think I saw it was a Snapchat group chat. He was convicted, he paid a fine, and I believe he got some kind of mandated therapy type thing, but no jail, nothing like that. But this was reported a couple of weeks ago, I believe by Frank Saravelli, and on Wednesday, so two days before the NHL draft, Molyu said, I would like to have my name withdrawn from consideration from the NHL draft. There are things in my life I need to straighten out. I do not want to be selected. Please do not select me. And the Canadians took him with the 31st overall pick in the NHL draft because, well, Mark Bergevin needs a right-hand D to run his power play, and he'll worry about the moral consequences later. And you know where Mark Bergevin used to work? Yeah, he was the director of pro personnel on Stan Bowman's 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Hockey culture is fucking horrendous. I wrote about it two weeks ago. All of the problems hockey has stem from the culture tying everything to the team. Everything is always for the team. Oh, you broke your foot? Well, can you get it in the skate? Well, you think you could play? Well, the team needs you, man. You can't... To the team. Well, he got accused of... Molesting someone on the team. But he, he, he's going to help us get ready for a game against San Jose next week, right? Because uh, we, we got to win the Stanley... We'll, we'll, we'll worry about... We, we're trying to win the Stanley Cup here. We'll worry about that. Those are the decisions the people in power in hockey are making. And it's on all of us. And I know I keep trying to toe a fine line... Uh, with what I'm writing about content-wise, what I'm doing here on the podcast, what I'm tweeting about and being on social media about, of not just emptily engaging with hockey, because all of us have a responsibility to make this space better for other people, because I have made 
so many friends through hockey, through the sports fa- sports realm of the world, whether it's in person, on the internet, whatever. And we need to make it a better place for everyone, a safer place for everyone. And I know my entire stick is the analytics and trying to be as smart as humanly possible and knowing as much as I can based on what we know. And all of that shit is secondary. Humanity and people, that that that's what matters here. And... That victim in Sweden who has to deal with the ordeal of her abuser getting drafted in the first round and every single time she hears his name is going to have to deal with that. And every single time the victims of what Bradley Aldrich did, they hear Stan Bowman's name, they're going to have to think about the fact Stan Bowman knew what Bradley Aldrich did to them and he did not do anything about it and it is just so so hard sometimes to love this sport and I know I say that as someone who's got it pretty good like I said I've made so many friends I I I am what hockey is looking for I'm a college educated white person not a traumatic background and I am what hockey is looking for I I could get the inside track if I know someone to make some things happen but even I sometimes have a hard time loving this sport. And and that's 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 what's upsetting is I know I have it pretty good and I get mad at this sport. So I can't imagine what it's like for some people who I know who I'm friends with to deal with with what this sport puts them through. That's kind of a somber note to end an episode that was kind of started out in jest where I was just kind of like, well, fuck my life. God, this fucking hockey team is making me want to jump off a bridge. It's still, at the end of the day, just a hockey team and need to do a better job of keeping that in context sometimes. I didn't really get around to talking about the Seth Jones trade in depth, the Phil, the Phil Myers. Yeah, well, yeah, the Phil Myers trade, but the Ryan Ellis trade, the the Ristolainen trade, the Connor Garland OEL trade. But I, I don't think it'd be appropriate to talk about that after what I just talked about with the Bradley Aldrich, the Stan Bowman, the the Logan Molyu, the Mark Bergevins. It, it wouldn't be it would not be appropriate to discuss hockey things after that. So. I'm going to end the episode on that note. We've got really good guests lined up for this week. I've got some good stuff in the incubator lined up on the horizon for the weeks to come. Going to try and further the discourse, not gatekeep things, make it more accessible, help everybody understand that it's okay to criticize your favorite team because you want them to do better. It's not just being negative. It's not being mean. It's not being supportive. There is no truer act of fandom and wanting your team to be better. On that note, I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.